Hi, I'm Allison Park, a staff reporter at the Yale Daily News, and this is Cross Campus, a YDN podcast. In this episode, we'll be covering the alleged FBI corruption probe into New Haven Mayor Tony Harp's administration and staffers. We'll also be discussing the Harvard Affirmative Action case, the investigations of Yale's own admissions practices, student reactions on campus, and the implications of the Kavanaugh confirmation on future affirmative action cases. But first, a quick catch-up of the news this week. Yale University has decided not to open a separate office for Title VI complaints. Title VI, which was instituted as part of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, is a federal law that prohibits discrimination based on race, ethnicity, color, and national origin at educational institutions. Calls for a separate Title VI office arose after an incident where a white graduate student called the police on a black graduate student who was sleeping in the Hall of Graduate Studies common room earlier this year. While there is currently no standardized way to address Title VI complaints across campus, the university states they are currently conducting a broad review of the Office for Equal Opportunity programs, which has monitored Yale's compliance with Title VI and other federal discrimination laws since 1980. We have some updates regarding Saifa Lacan since last week's episode. The 25-year-old senior, who was acquitted on four accounts of sexual assault last March, has been suspended due to new allegations that claimed Khan assaulted John Andrews, a former associate. This development comes days after the Yale Daily News reported on these new allegations. Khan has filed a lawsuit against Yale due to the emergency suspension, which was imposed by Dean of Yale College Marvin Chun. Chun noted in a letter to Khan concerning the suspension that this action was necessary for Khan's and the university community's safety. Khan's hearing, held in the New Haven Superior Court, is scheduled for October 22nd. From SciTech, Nobel laureate and Sterling Professor of Biophysics and Biochemistry Thomas Stites died of pancreatic cancer last Wednesday at the age of 78. Stites was a biologist whose life's work centered around determining the structures of the proteins essential for gene expression. He won the Nobel Prize for cracking the structure of the ribosome, the linchpin in the gene system. In the mid-1970s, Stites worked with chemistry professor Peter Moore and MBNB professor Donald Engelman to open Yale's first structural biology center. It was in this center that Stites would later go on to determine the structures of several key proteins in gene expression and one related to HIV infection. From the sports desk, the football team won their recent conference game against Mercer with a final score of 35-28. to The Yale women's volleyball team returned to campus this weekend after over a month of away games. They played Dartmouth on Friday and Harvard on Saturday, winning 3-0 in both games. After a three-game losing streak, the men's soccer team will be looking for a win on Tuesday when they play against Cornell. That's all for the news this week. Today, the lawsuit against Harvard University concerning alleged discrimination in the admissions process against Asian American students will be brought to trial in Boston. The lawsuit was filed by the anti-affirmative action group Students for Fair Admissions back in 2014. The organization, formed by conservative activist Edward Blum, accuses Harvard of setting quotas on Asian American students accepted into the university and holding Asian American applicants to a higher standard than other non-Asian applicants. 
The case remains divided in the realm of public opinion, with many claiming that the case is nothing but a blatant attempt to abolish affirmative action. In terms of other universities, the seven other members of the Ivy League, as well as nine other private universities, issued a joint brief in July, stating that a ruling against Harvard would harm efforts to provide higher education to a diverse array of students. The Justice Department has filed a statement of interest in the case as well, opening their own inquiries into the matter at Harvard and Yale. Ultimately, it remains to be seen whether the outcome of the trial will be limited to specifically Harvard or if the case will become a broad referendum on affirmative action as a whole. On September 26th, President Peter Salovey addressed an email to the student body regarding Yale College's admissions policies. It read that Department of Justice and the Office for Civil Rights of the Department of Education are investigating whether Yale's undergraduate admissions policies improperly discriminate on the basis of race, particularly in regard to Asian American applicants. Salovey said, quote, I write now to state unequivocally that Yale does not discriminate in admissions against Asian Americans or any other racial or ethnic group, to share information about our undergraduate admissions practices, and to affirm our unwavering commitment to diversity as a pillar of this university. First, we'll hear from Alice Park on the current state of the affirmative action lawsuit at Harvard and the recent investigation of affirmative action policies at Yale. So, um, tomorrow on Monday, October 15th, the trial for Students for Fair Admissions versus Harvard is starting. This group is alleging that Harvard discriminates against Asian Americans in their admissions practices. The trial is starting tomorrow, so I'm sure over the next few days we'll learn more about that. Um, a lot of peer institutions, including Yale, have shown their support for Harvard by filing briefs um, to support them. And at Yale, um, a group of students had organized a photo campaign last week to for students to show that they also support affirmative action uh, and kind of defending race-conscious policies. Um, and Harvard's model of admissions practices is kind of seen as a model for other colleges. Um, so whatever happens with this case will probably have larger implications for other universities. And in terms of like Yale and how students feel about it here, I mean, there's definitely a wide range of perspectives, but I'd say the most vocal students so far have been showing their support for affirmative action. I think it was two weeks ago that um, President Salovey sent out an email to everyone saying that the Justice Department and the Office of Civil Rights within the Department of Education is investigating Yale for its um, admissions practices related to affirmative action. And in that email, he very like staunchly defended Yale's practices and said, we don't discriminate against anyone um, and we like stand by our practices and um, our support for a diverse campus. So we'll see what happens with that. This comes a week after Yale alum Brett Kavanaugh was appointed to the Supreme Court which could have major implications for Yale's affirmative action policies in the future. We have Serena Cho in the studio to talk about why Kavanaugh's confirmation matters when it comes to Yale's admissions policies. Kavanaugh's confirmation is significant because, well, first of all, he was confirmed to the Supreme Court by one of the slightest, slimmest margins in American history. Um, but, but it's more important because his confirmation cemented a solid majority of conservative-leaning judges on the court. 
um, and he is very likely to um, vote unfavorably towards race conscious efforts to increase diversity in schools. Um, so like if the Department of Justice and Department of Education sues the university as a result of the investigation that they are currently doing, that means it's going to go to court. And if it like proceeds to the Supreme Court, Kavanaugh's vote might be very important. That conservative majority that his confirmation to the court has achieved is um, will probably vote against Yale's affirmative action policies, which w- which could be very detrimental for the university. Based on Kavanaugh's judicial records or other evidence, what makes you think that he would vote against affirmative action? First of all, just as a clarification, Kavanaugh did not issue any decisions involving race preferences or affirmative action during his tenure in the D.C. Circuit from 2006 to 2018. But in 1999, when he was a lawyer working for a private firm, um, he wrote an amicus brief for the Supreme Court. He wasn't really involved in the trial, but he was sort of issuing his recommendations on what should happen in the trial. And it was for the Supreme Court case called Rice versus Cayetano. Um, Rice versus Cayetano is a 1999 Supreme Court case. Um, and it was basically the controversy was whether um, only Native Hawaiians can get to vote in specific elections. So sort of um, giving an advantage to Native Hawaiians for the systemic, systematic discrimination that they had faced or, uh, historically. So the context is, context is so, sort of similar with affirmative action because what affirmative action is looking to do is that it is looking to give some advantage to groups that have been historically disadvantaged um, so far. Um, And what Kavanaugh's um, amicus brief said um, in 1999 was that um, they shouldn't be doing that, that people should not be discriminated based on their race um, or even given an advantage because of their race. Um, So we actually interviewed one of the people who co-wrote this amicus with um, Kavanaugh in 1999. Um, So Roger Clegg is also a Yale graduate. He is now the director or the president of the Center for Equal Opportunity. Um, It's a conservative think tank that is very against affirmative action. Um, And again, he co-wrote this amicus with Kavanaugh at the time. So um, based on that, we can sort of infer that they probably had similar thoughts or at least were in agreement regarding this specific case. So since that case is from 1999, Is that enough evidence to rightfully assume that he would vote against affirmative action now? Yeah, so the amicus does not necessarily um, serve as a proof for how um, Kavanaugh is going to vote. Um, But according to four legal experts that we have interviewed in the past week, um, even though this amicus does not serve as direct um, evidence, the expectations of people who were supportive of Kavanaugh um, and his confirmation is that he will vote against affirmative action. We have further news since last week regarding New Haven Mayor Tony Harp. It's been reported that the FBI allegedly intends to question former mayoral staffer Bianca Bowles as part of a larger corruption probe into City Hall. While Harp strongly denies the existence of a probe, there has been evidence to the contrary as WTNH News 8 reported that they've confirmed the identity of the FBI agents searching for Bulls. 
The probe comes amid criticism over Harp's recent financial decisions, which ranged from diverting funds from the New Haven Fire Department to buy more uniform business attire for receptionists, to simultaneously increasing property tax while giving employees like Bowles raises. We have reporters Angela Zhao and Nick Tabio in the studio today to discuss this topic. One of the things that uh, last month a report from the New Haven Independent found from filing a FOIA request, which is essentially requesting files on officials and other city representatives, is that the HARP administration failed to disclose a significant amount of spending. Um, What's kind of interesting about this case is that as far as we know and as far as the records show, none of the spending itself is inherently problematic. That is, none of it is unlawful. All of it seems to be used for things like professional development, namely sponsoring trips um, for Mayor Harp or her staffers to go on places, you know, mayor's conferences, other things like that. What's interesting about it is that there's two forms of undisclosed spending. So the mayor's office spends on a credit card um, and individual members of the, the office have like accounts linked to that credit card. And what we see is that every month the mayor is supposed to kind of report her spending, which is totally allowed. You know, the mayor has to be able to spend and do things as she sees fit for the city's purpose. The mayor is supposed to report that kind of spending to in a report to the board of alders. And what we see is that time and time again over the past two years, those reports have either been totally lacking, as in entire trips have gone unreported, right? Like they just haven't shown up on the report at all when they very, very clearly showed up on the credit card statement. Or in some cases, they are reported. For example, the mayor goes to a twice annual mayor's conference with her staff of like all these US mayors and they're reported to be very, very different costs from what they actually are. And for both of the mayor's conferences last year, the actual cost of the trips was more than double, if not triple the price that they were reported to be. Um, So we know that this is absolutely wrongdoing um, because the city charter requires that kind of disclosure. And the city has absolutely had issues with kind of financial transparency in the past, which is especially critical and kind of concerning given the poor financial state of New Haven and the city's budget in general. So how has the HARP administration responded So there hasn't been a formal response. Uh, Her spokesperson has essentially just asked for, you know, we, none of the wrong, he reiterated that there's no wrongdoing and that, you know, everybody's working towards making protocols that make it easier to report, make it easier to kind of keep account of expenses. But this is not like the only run-in with either undisclosed or unverified or fraudulent spending that the HARP administration has been saddled with. Why do you think the HARP administration was lying about that if the records were publicly available? And so I don't think it's as much outright lying as it just is reflective of maybe an issue of accountability and belief in, you know, what spending and what expenditures need to be reported and what people have a right to know. Right. So is this FBI probe in response to that? Is the media just kind of picking up on the story that the New Haven Independent broke? Or Nick, can you tell me about that? Um, yeah, sure. So, um, so WTNH on must have been I believe October fifth. I'd have been October fourth. I'll check. Um, I believe it was October fifth. They broke about mid uh, about five p.m. Uh, that 
um, basically two FBI agents had shown up to an apartment uh, that used to be owned by Bianca Bowles, who was formerly a receptionist in the mayor's office. And apparently, according to Mario Boone, who uh, broke the article, he was the actual reporter for WTNH News 8, um, they verified, uh, they background checked who the FBI agents were. They figured out that they were FBI agents. Um, and they broke the story that uh, Bianca Bowles uh, was being questioned in part of this larger FBI corruption case. Now, who is Bianca Bowles? Bianca Bowles, I said, she was a former receptionist um, who had been uh, arrested for embezzling uh, $13,000 on a city credit card. Right. Um, she had been using it for a lot of motel stays and trips and personal items, etc., that they deemed wasn't part of the actual uh, city. She had also been a part of uh, two sort of budget budgetary scandals in the summer of 2018, this past summer. First, she was uh, so first Mayor Tony Harp uh, gave 37 top aides and people within the office. Uh, one of whom was Bianca Bowles, um, raises, despite the fact there was 11% uh, property tax hike in the city. So there's like a long shady history with uh, Bianca Bowles in the mayor's office. And so eventually we ended up, uh, after we initially broke the story the night uh, that WTNH News 8 uh, broke the story, we then the next day went to the FBI offices. We talked with them, and they, they were, you know, we were basically trying to figure out. We talked also with um, Lawrence Grothier, who is uh, the mayoral spokesperson. He said that they they vehemently denied that there was a probe whatsoever, or at least to their knowledge. Um, the FBI was unable to confirm with us, you know, the nature of ongoing or scope of ongoing investigations. But there's just a lot of unanswered questions. We can kind of presume from what we know about Mayor Harp's administration and her history of kind of not necessarily unlawful, but, you know, spending that has made her constituents uneasy, that it has possibly something to do with, you know, past forms of expenditure or past forms of accountability within the office, but we can't say for sure. Like, long story short, it's been painted, like, a picture that has been painted, regardless of the FBI investigation, is this for foreboding, uh, these foreboding issues in, uh, in Mayor Tony Harp's office um, that, you know, it, it just seems very hectic. I know that her, her uh, chief of staff just retired four days ago. There are just a lot of questions that have to be asked of the Harp administration at this point in New Haven for various different sectors of government. And uh, right now, we're, we're just going to have to see how that story continues to develop. Given the state that our city is in, is this appropriate? You know, not is this lawful? Because in a lot of cases, what we see is that things are lawful. Um, as much as constituents may or may not approve of things like, you know, buying uniforms for her staffers or giving them raises, those are all within the mayor's lawful purview. But is it appropriate? Is it acceptable given the circumstance that we're in? It's realistically just bad politics. Real, like, as... As we have mentioned, the only thing that, between all of these various stories that are intertwining within the mayor's office, the only thing that has happened that is confirmed to be illegal is Bianca Bowles embezzling uh, $13,000 through fraud and identity theft. Um, otherwise, it's just um, that New Haven residents are upset, members of the Board of Alders are upset, and, you know, uh, that, that is the beautiful thing about democracy, is that it, despite the fact it's not illegal, it may very well show next elections. So are you guys going to be keeping an eye on this? What do you see reporting-wise going forward? 
next thing that I uh, am looking for, the main thing I'm looking for, is a statement from the mayor. The main thing I'm looking for is a statement from the mayor. And it's, you know, trying to figure out, is the city government going to take this seriously? Uh, just, you know, is the city government going to make a response? And if they do, what is that response going to say? And I think that that's going to dictate the tone of the rest of this reporting, the rest of this, like, potential probe, alleged probe, I should say, and sort of how people are going to see, um, you know, the, the mayor's office for the rest of her term. Like, we have no proof as to, like, does the investigation exist? If it does, what is it investigating? Who is it investigating and why, right? Like we have these theories and we're like providing all of the, the information that we did as like background to kind of understand why there's such controversy, but it's not by any means a definitive narrative or story as to like why there might be a probe into the Harp administration. Like it could be something completely different. That's it for this episode of Cross Campus. I'm Allison Park, and I'll talk to you in our next episode.